Good morning. My, I am on. Good morning, Chair City Church. So good to see you today. Wow, man, the rain does not dull you, huh? You are lively, you are up, you're ready to go. I'm so glad to see all of you here today. What a special day. How cool it was to see that article in the paper. Maybe I remember it later on. We thank, we thank our city, we thank the Garden News. We, we're so grateful that they're just recognizing the wonderful things that are happening here at Chair City Church. To God be the glory. So when I went to Bible college, uh, most, I went there, I was about 29 years old. Most of the students were younger than me, noticeably younger than me. Uh, and they often talked about God calling them to far off places, you know, Africa, Mexico, China. I, I just didn't jive with that, you know. Uh, they relished the opportunity to get off campus and travel miles and hours to go to other churches and help. Uh, the campus was in Barrington, Rhode Island. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, they, you actually got drafted when you got there. Like they, they, you didn't like kind of volunteer to go and help out in other churches. They just signed you up for it. You were like, it was like the Christian draft, right? And you were now gonna go, you were in Bible college and now you were gonna go to this church. And the church, I mean, the one we that, the, the one I was enlisted in was about an hour and a half away somewhere in Eastern Connecticut. So we're talking about an hour and a half each way, three hours, right? We would leave at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, get there about 8.30. We would teach Sunday school. Then we would to one age group. Then we would do kids church for another age group. And then after church was over, we'd go to somebody's house and talk or help or do things. And then we'd come back at night at like 5.30 to prepare to do youth group. And then we'd do youth group. And we'd get back to campus about 9.30 at night, seven o'clock in the morning, 9.30 at night. Now this college was not, you know, a denominational college. Uh, it was called Zion Bible Institute. And the students there, highly favored, we'll call them Pentecostal type churches or at least contemporary Baptist churches, kind of charismatic type churches, music, long services, and, and, and churches that had long services and many services, right? You know? Sunday school, two services on Sunday morning and night, midweek services. It's just kind of where they went. I was okay with that. I just wasn't okay with all that plus driving an hour and a half each way. So one day I'm driving near my campus in Barrington, about two blocks away, and I notice this church. I probably had noticed the church before because it's two blocks away from the campus. It's St. James Lutheran Church. But I think what stood out to me was this sign, the church sign, and on the sign it said, weekly service. Service, not plural, one service. 9.30 and 10.30, and I'm like, my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. This is the place for me. But then reality sets in, and I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I'm young, I'm energetic, relatively handsome, I, I would be a blessing to them. And they're only two minutes by car, maybe a minute from my dorm. This is a good fit. God is calling me to St. James Lutheran Church. But then reality hits and I realize that, okay, this is probably not gonna fly with this Bible college, but I proposed it to them, I put my request in, and they approved it. And it was awesome. I leave my campus at like nine o'clock, if I was like, and I get back by 11. That was the longest amount of time I'd have to go. 
get back at 11, get back in the bed, maybe listen to some football games on the radio, which I probably wasn't allowed to have because they banned radios. They banned everything. Other than vital organs, it was banned in that college. Well, I helped out at that Lutheran church. It was uh, my second semester from about the ending of January to the beginning of May. And uh, I love not having to travel so far, not just my whole day is gone. And I also kind of got a kick out of that I beat the system, right? I don't know, you shouldn't laugh at that. Okay, we're in church. Well, May rolls around, semester's over, and now we're coming up on graduation time. And Christy and I, Christy's attending the same college, we're going to finish up and graduate and move on from the college. Well, about, I don't know, a couple of weeks before graduation, the day of graduation, I get this letter in my mailbox and it's telling me that I owe the college, literally owe, O-W-E, I owe the college over 80 hours of volunteer service. I'm like, what? So I go to the office and, I, and you know, I said, so, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what does this mean? What, what, is this, uh, what, is, what are you trying to tell me? They're like, well, you went to a church with only one service that was only one hour long and you owe us 80 hours of service. Now, I knew that there was, you didn't have to accumulate any particular number of hours for this kind of what they called helps system. I just knew that they realized I found a way to beat the system and they were penalizing me for it. And they were like, unless you do the 80 hours, you're not getting your certificate of, of graduation. I said, okay. And so graduation day came and there was Christy with her certificate and there was me holding Christy's certificate. <laughs> And that was it. We, we went on and, uh, you know, life went on. Uh, I go on and I become a youth pastor in the church. And then Chris and I become nationally appointed home missionaries to underprivileged youth in the, youth in the inner city. And I don't know, it's a few years later, three, four years later, I get a call and it's from this woman, Sister Shirley, who is an administrator at the Bible College. She had worked there many years. She's a sweet, dear woman. And uh, I'd go into her office and we'd joke and laugh. And she always had this bowl of jelly beans. And I'd always help myself. Well, after I got out of the college, every three or four months, I'd send, you remember those, uh, I'm sure they're out there still, the gourmet jelly beans? I'd send her every three or four months, I'd mail her packages of the gourmet jelly beans to Sister Shirley. And she says, she says, uh, David, I was clearing up some files here in the college. I came across your file and I saw your certificate of graduation in the file. She goes, didn't you get it at graduation? I says, nope. <laughs> and then I proceeded to tell her the truth, the sincere truth about what happened. She asked me how Christy was doing. She asked me how the ministry was doing and the call ended. Well, about two weeks later, I get a package from the Bible college. I open it up and lo and behold, there is my certificate. <laughs> so man, I had this huge smile on my face, right? <laughs> so the kind of less responsible people clap and the more, or more responsible people frown, right? <laughs> I get it, <laughs> it's okay. I'm glad my kid's in kid's church right now and he's not hearing this, all right. So, there's this wave of happiness comes over me and it's not because that, just that I had got the certificate. That was nice, that was cool. I mean, you know, I kind of had put it out there but when I'd, sometimes I'd see Christie's certificate, it, you know, it was there. But uh, what happened was this thought that my debt was canceled. I didn't owe the 80 hours because she told me she goes, yeah, she took it all out when I talked to her later on. So I did not owe the debt anymore. The debt was canceled. And, and I was, sometimes I think like, what do I owe, like 100 hours now? Is it like interest compiling or something like that? Have you ever had a debt canceled? I mean, a good-sized debt. 
canceled unexpectedly. One minute, it's there. The next minute, it's gone. It's just gone. A, a college debt, a car loan, can you imagine? A personal loan. Something that's taking place between you and a friend or a, a family member. You feel the weight every now and then. More than you probably realize. It's hanging on you, and it's just gone. One moment your debt is there. The next moment it is forgiven. We are in week two of our current teaching series called Storyteller. We're stuttering, we're studying the parables and stuttering. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's something in the air up here. I don't know. Maybe it's in the brownies. Who knows? <laughs> I did have a brownie. I don't usually have brownies, but maybe I should have passed on the brownies. Where's Loretta? I told you to stop that. <laughs> Loretta turns 90 in March. My God Almighty. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to make a big deal about that. So we're studying, not stuttering, the parables or the stories that Jesus told. We've, you know, we've been learning that a parable, this, a story, is intended to teach us a spiritual truth. That's what Jesus was doing when he told these stories. He was conveying spiritual, meaningful, deep, profound spiritual truths to his audience. So today we're gonna look into a story that Jesus told about a debt being canceled. Gonna kind of fly through it. It's found in Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. You're welcome to go there. We'll be putting the verses up on the screen. We're not going to put all of it up on the screen. I encourage you when you go home to just, you can literally make this your weekly devotion. Meaning taking time during the week to sit down and read these verses and think about God and sense God's presence. So in the story, Jesus is telling us of two people who owed a good sum of money. More money that they could pay back. And we hear of their response. We hear their response to, to, what it, to what happens when they find out their debt has been canceled. Their debt's been erased. Have you ever had someone really important invite you to dinner? You can raise your hand, anybody? Have somebody really who, who's kind of a, a notoriety in the, in the community and they invite you to dinner? Some yes, some no, but that's what's happening here in the story. Jesus had been traveling in a region known as Judea. Specifically, he's in a town called Galilee. Give you some background. And he's been teaching in a manner that no one has really ever heard. And he's performing miracles. And slowly but surely, Jesus is becoming more and more popular. He, in some cases, he's even becoming famous, right? Like, because he's doing, the, he's give, providing these teachings, he's doing these miracles. I mean, really, like, it would be like Facebook and Twitter would be blowing up with, you know, Jesus, right? Like, people would be taking selfies with Jesus. That's what's going on out there. Jesus and the blind guy, right? So Luke chapter 7, verse 17 says this, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. People could not stop talking about Jesus. So this guy invites Jesus, this man named Simon, invites Jesus to dinner. He's an important man in town. See, because in that region, Simon is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And that's a big deal at that time and in that place. It would be like getting invited, it would be like a senator or a Patriots player inviting you to dinner. Maybe more so a senator, actually, because I'm just going to do this quickly. So in, in Jesus' time, there were two main groups of kind of power, Sadducees and Pharisees, right? 
The Sadducees, they were dominant. They ran the Sanhedrin, kind of like our Supreme Court. And they were wealthy people. They were like into banking and business. They figured money equals power, power equals authority. Josephus, who's a reputable Jewish historian, says of the Pharisees, they were unfriendly even to one another <laughs> and unpopular amongst the people. They were great, and they greatly disliked Jesus because he was disruptive to their financial interests in the community. Hence the story of Jesus overturning the tables. The second group were the Pharisees. Now one of the main characters in the story, as we've said, Simon is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were mainly concerned with temple worship, what went on in the temple. They handled the administration of the temple and all the ceremonies, you know? And they were very similar to our, the politicians we have today. Now that sounds strange, politicians, religious leaders, but they did not have a democracy in the time of Jesus. They had a theocracy, meaning everything, the way the Jewish people saw it, everything ran through the law of God. And the religious leaders were society's leaders. And the culture and all in it focused on the religion. So Simon is this Pharisee. And he has authority. The men around him have authority. And, he, and he's looking at Jesus and he's thinking, as he, the other man, like, is by what authority are you teaching this stuff? Right? At some point, they even accuse Jesus of getting that authority from Beelzebub, meaning from the devil. They just can't fit Jesus into a category. He's not with us. We don't think he's from the Sadducees. Who, where does this guy come from? Where does he fit? Who does he identify with? Now, this, the Pharisees, I would say, although people say they were evil men, I would say they were more misguided. They believed in God. It's just that their belief in God was misguided. The Bible tells us that in Luke chapter 7, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and one of the Pharisees, this man named Simon, invites him to dinner. Very important man invites Jesus to dinner over his home to hang out with him and some of his friends. Jesus accepts the invitation. They're sitting down at the table at Simon's house, probably be a table about that high. Woo! Definitely one of those mornings, right? Probably a table about yay high. We'll go with the yay instead of... And they're sitting down. They would sit around, recline at the table. Nobody said good catch. I bet you one of those little ones said good catch. All right. Yeah, well, hey, go Steelers. All right, anyway. Uh, I don't know. It's just in me. So they're sitting down at the table. And uh, all of a sudden, this woman comes on the scene. And she's known by the men in the room as someone who's not well off, who's, who's really considered lowly in life, She's known as a sinner, right? And this woman bursts into the room. She's crying. She's crying profusely. And she's carrying this jar of perfume. She goes to Jesus. She washes his feet with her hair and her tears. That's why we know she's crying profusely. And then she anoints Jesus with the perfume, with her perfume. The Bible tells us the woman was thought of as a sinner. Now, it's like Jesus is sitting there with these men of influence and this woman bursts is like okay awkward moment right you know what's next we see Simon the man who invited Jesus to dinner he has these thoughts we know he has these thoughts because Jesus is fully God and fully man right 
Or maybe just Jesus seeing the displeasurable look on his face. You see, there weren't good thoughts that he was having towards Jesus in the whole scenario about his party being crashed, right? And Jesus responds to those thoughts. And he responds with what we call a story or a parable, and it's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 40 through 42. It says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but from the, first, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a really unique story. Precious. Hits some different kind of issues in, in our lives and how we kind of perceive Jesus to be. You see, we see different identities in this story. It's clear right up front. There's Simon. Simon's a man of power. He's one of influence. He identifies with that power and that influence. Maybe so much so that he doesn't even think that he would, you know, humble himself and wash Jesus' feet or anoint him with oil. I mean, he's the guy, right? Then you have the woman. She's seen in a very low way. And then there's Jesus. They think maybe he's a prophet or a teacher. And Simon is saying, I know who I am. I know who the woman is. I just don't know who's this, who is this Jesus. Where do we, what category do we fit him in? Who is he identifying himself with? Where does he get this authority from? How do I fit Jesus in my picture? The irony is of all, other than Jesus obviously, of everyone else in the room, it's only the woman who gets it. She understands who Jesus is. She understands that she has been forgiven and she responds to that forgiveness accordingly and willingly. She is the sinner. They're all sinners, but Jesus says this woman has sinned much and yet she gets who he is. Now you might be in here right now and you don't believe in God or you're not sure where you stand with God. You are not alone, I assure you. Maybe the way you are living, you would surmise doesn't line up with what you do know of God or what you think of God. It, it, that's a strong possibility. Uh, we, would, we would say that you would be living in a life that's dominated by sin, meaning it, it's more governed and controlled and motivated by sin, that you're living apart from God. You, you know, you're going this way, God is that way, right? And you would think, hey, how do I, I don't fit in here. I don't, how am I going to get this? I've heard people say that 
I don't come to church upon getting an invitation, that I don't come to church because if I walked into church, the building would burn down, right? I would say to that, we have a great and expensive fire alarm. <laughs> and I know that it works because it went off at six o'clock this morning. <laughs> and I got some calls and I'm grateful for the people in this church who uh, dealt with it. I was, it was also sort of helpful that a fireman was good enough to make it through a window rather than go through the door, the glass doors. That fireman also happens to attend this church, so thank God. I told him, I think he has sort of a fetish, if that, I hope that's the right word, with windows in this building because he attended this church when he was a kid and he was suspended for peeing out the window, actually. i <laughs> tell you. Thank God he climbed in. And he said, well, good for you that I know to pee out the window and to climb in the window. I said, good for me, yes. That's his response, yeah. All right, where was I? So if you don't know where you're standing, you're tossing this stuff around, Hear me out. If you don't know where you stand with God, just sl slow down your thoughts. Calm down your thinking. Just pause. And you might just sense there's something good going on in you. Something wanting good. Something, some, some thought thinking good. And this is God. This is God drawing you closer to him. This is God speaking to you. Why? Or because you came in here today, or because of what I'm saying. No, God, because he created you. You're, you're his child. He is your heavenly father. I believe that with all my heart. You are not a foreigner to him, <laughs> you know. He loves you. And this morning, he wants you to know, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and Jesus is for you. And all the good that's in you comes from God. All the good, every bit and ounce, it comes from God. You just gotta attach that to Jesus. You just gotta get Jesus and you're a lot closer than you think. If you have good in you, if you love, if you want to be loved, you are a lot closer to understanding God than you might think. So you see the, and identifying with God. You see the Pharisees, he would, the Pharisee Simon, he was identifying with Jesus from his position of place and power. He just struggled to, to just get it. But the woman, she gets Jesus because she has been forgiven much. And from that forgiveness, she loves much. That's why we talk about sin often because we need to understand that our sins are forgiven. And from that, we get Jesus how God wants us to get Jesus, right? Meaning we get him in this thankful way. We get grace. We get love. The woman now is overwhelmed with thanksgiving. It's pouring out from her, and it's pouring out from her into even the lives of people around her. Thank you, God, for trusting me to be his dad. Thank you, Lord, that when a door closes, you're still going to take care of me. Thank you for cheetahs and pickles and fairings and mommies and daddy. Thank you, Father. 
for always giving me perspective. I'm so sorry. Thank you, God, that you are the great physician of both my body and my soul. Father, thank you for knowing my family's needs even before I do. And for ladybugs and old people and Disney movies and Miss Walker and donuts. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that I'm never alone. Thank you, God, for what I have. And also, I wouldn't mind an upgrade soon. Thank you, Father God, for love, joy, peace, and patience. Lord, especially patience. And thank you for Jesse, even though he's mean during recess. Help him find a good friend. That's what he needs. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for childlike faith. Thanksgiving, right? It's a powerful thing. I tell you, Thanksgiving is a powerful way to think. It will move you. It will change you. It'll bring you from a depressed state, an angry state, to a more settled in state, to a better state, to a better place. It's hard to be angry. I say hard. I think it's impossible to be angry and be thankful at the same time. I think it's impossible to be depressed and to be thankful at the same time. When we identify with Jesus, we, you cannot identify with Jesus and not be thankful. If you're not filled with thankfulness, then something's happening. You are not identifying with Jesus and what he did for you, forgiving your sins. I'm not saying you've never identified with him. I'm not saying you don't, but I'm saying something's not there that God intended to be there for your benefit, for your blessing. The woman, her identity is this, I am a sinner who has been forgiven and now I am loved by Jesus. And it is not about what they perceive, it is about what I know. This is my identity and she is warm and, and, and accepting of Jesus and she's filled with life now. Nothing can keep her down. And this sense, this reality spurs her to action. You see, the, we see the woman inspired to action 
and particularly an act of worship. She worships Jesus from this truth, from this realization. She's overcome by who Jesus is. Most people, like the Pharisees, respond from this attitude. You know, meaning, I wonder even today, you know, we look at the Pharisees like, and we just put them in this terrible negative light. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I wonder today if we would not conduct ourselves in a similar place, you know? We got our agenda, we got our business, we're going about it, and here comes this person, you know, busting in with this and that. Oh, come on, you gotta be kidding me. Right? You know, I hope nobody busts in right now. <laughs> I'm talking to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but meaning, or, or I said another way, when we see people kind of really go overboard, whether it's their, in, in different ways, their words, their actions with this worship of Jesus, and they come, it's coming from a place of humility, and, and, and gratitude, it's coming from thanksgiving, it's changing them from the inside out. It's saying, I have been forgiven much, I have been loved much, and I just can't help it. Nothing else matters right now. Not the bill, not an uncertain future, not this difficult relationship, nothing matters right now. Not even that they say biologically, my brain is this way, that way. My spirit says, I have been forgiven, yes? And the spirit trumps everything. And I'm not making light of mental health, man. I've got my own issues. I got to tell you, if they wired me up, whoa. I'm just saying the spirit trumps everything. I would tell you the history of the world would line up with what I'm telling you, that the spirit trumps everything. I have seen it in hospitals. I've seen it in institutions. I, the spirit trumps everything. And nothing gets the spirit going like someone who identifies with Jesus from a place of thanksgiving and dwells in that thanksgiving. She's weeping tears of gladness. Can you, she's grasping how wonderful Jesus When was the last time that you sat there and just was overwhelmed with the gladness of your salvation, overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for you? I told you several weeks ago that that's what brought me to plant a church in Gardner. I just had this moment that I was so overwhelmed with gladness and joy that I literally kind of rose up in a sense. Not physically, but just within myself, with this crazy amount of gratitude, of thanksgiving to God, that nothing else mattered, and I could see God for all he was, his majesty and his faithfulness. He knew that. He knew he would, we would struggle. He knew we would sin. He knew we would fall up and fall down and slip up. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us even while we were still sinning. When was the last time your heart responded to Jesus in such a way? Not a cold and calculated way. We do that. We are very calculated, right? We, we calculate, man. We measure. We, we take control. When was the last time your heart responded from this incredible place of surrender and trust in God? Jesus just loves me. This story is a tale of grace. There's a lot of money being talked about in this story. There's a lot of talk about money in the Bible. Money's a big part of life. And it's a debt of being forgiven of a lot of money. The word grace that Jesus uses here, well, the word actually, when Jesus says forgiven, I got it backwards. When Jesus uses the word forgiven here in the scripture, I believe it's in verse 47, 
It's really kind of a Greek word for like an abundant amount of grace. It's a strong grace. It speaks of canceling a debt. And that's what grace does. It cancels debts. We are sin sinners. The woman was a sinner. She had this massive debt. And now her debt is canceled by the grace of God. A grace that's continuous. It, it deals with the sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The story is about forgiveness and what it looks like. It's one of the great stories in the history of the world that speak to forgiveness and what it looks like. Verse 47 holds the key to the story. It's Jesus says in verse 47, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You see, when we recognize what Jesus has done, it compels us to give up our reservations to just letting go and getting God. It compels us to respond freely to Jesus, and that's because we realize we're free. We're not living with those burdens and that weight. We're truly free now. It's a beautiful feeling. We're not callous no more. We're not calculated. We're not cautious. We're just crazy for Jesus, right? We are. That's what happened when I got it. I just got crazy for Jesus. So much that I even go to this Bible college, huh? In the first place, whoa. This is what forgiveness looks like. Your heart has been changed, and your next step is to love Jesus well. Jesus just forgave her, and that's what made it so amazing to her. It was a gift. It was a gift from God. She had not done anything to deserve such forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace whom you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This is forgiveness. This is grace. That's what happened to the lady. And that's why she responded the way she did. She got it and she got Jesus. If our faith has saved us, it has saved us to love well. Are you loving well in your life? Are you loving your spouse well? Are you loving your children well? Do you love your neighbor well? We, God calls us to love well. And at the end, Jesus says to her what? He says, go in peace. Say it with me, say, go, go. In, peace. in peace. That's a picture of what your life could look like today, this very moment, to go in peace, to live in peace. Worship team, why don't you come on up? If you get who Jesus is and identify with him, and if you believe in Jesus, then go in peace. If you get what it means to respond to what Jesus did, and you worship him from a place of being overwhelmed with thanksgiving, then go in peace. If you get that grace is about forgiveness and it's a gift of God, you don't have to earn it. It's not about what you have to give up. You don't have to do that. Get those thoughts, those hindering thoughts out of your mind because it stops you, it shuts you down. Just focus on the forgiveness. And what he did, 
And then you'll be empowered. Then you'll be strengthened. You'll, the Lord will be light and you'll have freedom. And these other things that right now seem so large in your life that are hindering you from trusting God, from doubting God, from dismissing God, they will be minimized. You'll just hurdle them. Because you'll know it's a gift. Don't think I don't deserve this. Don't think I can't live up to this. Don't think I don't belong in this. Shut that down. This is a gift from your creator, from God. And then you go in peace. That's the way you want to go in your life, peace. Not that things are going to be perfect. As I say often, we have a saying on here, nothing's changed, but everything has changed, right? The way you see your life, the way you see the world, the way you see people and relationship is just simply transformed and thereby now you are transformed and you more than likely, highly likely, will eventually transform your circumstances, right? As a matter of fact, you'll no longer be a person of circumstances, but you'll be someone who identifies with Jesus. You'll know what your identity is. So you don't have to live based on one particular relationship. I don't live for Christy, I live for Jesus. The moment I start living for Christy, I'm in trouble. I know Christy lives for Jesus. There's no doubt about that, right? Really, from the moment I met her. No occupation, no relationship, no source of income, wealth, status, nothing comes close to knowing what Jesus has done and to dwell in, the thanksgi in thanksgiving when you realize that. And when you have that, you have peace that regardless of what's happening around you, there still might be pain, there still might be hurt, but you've got peace, unspeakable, undescribable peace that carries you through, and it carries you through, it takes you to a better place. You grow, rather than getting stuck in a moment, stuck in a moment for a month, stuck in a moment for a year, stuck in a moment for five years, stuck in a moment for 20 years. 30 years, 40 years stuck in a moment. I went and I did an interview for an internship. I, I can't name the place, but it's in this region. And they're dealing with people who are really uh, working through some incredibly difficult problems emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, mentally, of you know, different realms. And, and the person I, I was speaking with just said they just seemed stuck for so long. Get unstuck this morning. Get it. Get Jesus. Get his forgiveness and get thanksgiving. Why don't you stand with me? Today, this morning, you know, this is a week of thanksgiving. You, you, I think you're going to hear the word about 10,000 times. Why not hear it a thousand times this morning? It'll warm you up for it, right? It's my heart. It's my prayer that you would get thanksgiving that comes from knowing what Jesus did for you. Today, you'd really get that. You'd wrap your heart around that and you would live in thanksgiving every moment. It would increase from when you leave here to later today, driving home, say that to yourself, that by the time that day comes, whether you're with family or friends or even alone, if that's your choice or that's the way life has brought that to you, that you would do so in thanksgiving, that you would, be, you would embody thanksgiving, the way you talk to people, the way you interact with people, that you would just be God's example of thanksgiving in people's presence. And, and that would happen because of the way you are, your, your continence, your attitude, how you speak, that people would look at you and say, wow, what has happened in your life? Who are you? 
you just seem to be in a better, a greater place? And the answer is, I am thankful to God. <laughs> with no hesitation, with no shame, only from an abundance of joy and gladness and thanksgiving, I am thankful to God. Huh? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your life and for your love. Oh God, I pray that today that we will worship you, oh God, that we will serve you with the way we sing, with the way we give, with the way we recognize you in our thoughts, oh God. We will serve you, oh God, as we think of the days ahead, oh God, that right now we will trust in you within our hearts. Father, I pray for the one who's in here today, oh God, that they would know that their debt has been canceled that this gift is waiting for them to participate in, to embrace, oh God, to trust in, oh God, it is there. I pray that right now they would take a hold of that, that they would find peace with you by turning to you and looking to you and sensing you and asking your forgiveness, knowing they have that forgiveness, knowing they can come before you right now, before you are throne of grace and mercy with a confidence and a boldness and take a hold of what you have for them and live out from that beginning today oh god lord we thank you and we love you oh god and i pray for each and every one in here today oh god that they have not come to a place of of a, a position or a status a way of being oh god that they cannot love abundantly and intimately with humility oh god letting all go and trusting in you oh god not categorizing you oh god but glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen.